Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Telling the Story podcast, a look at how journalists and everyone reach the world. I'm Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. Perhaps the biggest story this past month took place in Baltimore, where the death of Freddie Gray in police custody brought about protests and even riots, as well as numerous stories that followed and attention to a city rife with income inequality. How do you capture those emotions and present them in an informative, unbiased, compelling way? My guest tonight did just that. She is a reporter for WBFF in Baltimore, the Fox affiliate. Kathleen Carnes, welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Thank you very much, Matt, for having me on. And I want to do something a little different for this episode. Uh, On the Telling the Story website, on the page that has the audio for this podcast, is a link to a compilation of footage from the entire major week in Baltimore uh, that occurred when this first started, really starting with the Saturday of Freddie Gray's funeral. And I want to encourage everyone to watch that compilation first before listening to the podcast. It gives such a great background on everywhere these crews were and just how close they got to all of the action. So watch that and pause this and uh, at the very least try to watch it after the podcast because, again, it just gives such a great summary and context of what happened here. Now, Kathleen, you've worked in Baltimore for a quarter century. You've won 22 regional Emmys, someone who has been working the streets and knows this city and this region so well. What was the most memorable and perhaps surprising part of how this all unfolded over the past few weeks? I'll tell you, you know, I've been in some tough situations. Baltimore is not an easy town. There is a lot of conflict and and it is violent at times, although we hadn't seen riots like this. I was very impressed by the composure of the uh, police, not only Baltimore City Police, but the state police and all the other jurisdictions who came in. I mean, to have you know, water bottles being thrown at them and people screaming right in their faces. And you and I work with police all the time. And we know they're human. We have backstories with them. We're at locations with them. And and for them to stand tall, not react, not make it worse, um, you know, I think they, I, I was very impressed by how they handled themselves. And there's a obviously this situation has brought a, a lot of politics into the equation, a lot of opinions about uh, you know whether it was right or wrong on on virtually every side of this. I, I, obviously, this being a, a podcast more about storytelling and journalism, we're going to steer away from the the politics mostly, and, and really want to talk to you about just how this all unfolded from a news perspective. And you, uh, we were just talking before we started recording about what you found yourself involved with uh, on Monday, uh, on the Monday that this all kind of unfolded. And again, it was about a week that started on a Saturday and ended on Friday. The stories have continued uh, over the past few weeks, but that was the major week of it. So take me through how this unfolded in your newsroom and for you specifically as a reporter. Well, we knew we had had a, you know, obviously a big story even before Freddie actually passed. Um, you know, when it first happened, we had it I, within 24 hours. We knew that he had been hospitalized. Um, you know, we did the normal thing that everybody does, ran the names. And I actually ran to an address that turned out to be the correct one for his mother and did a sit down interview with her. 
and this was before she had a lawyer and there was all of this happening. Um, so we knew going into the funeral that there was going to be a lot of coverage, obviously. Um, networks were in town. All eyes were on Baltimore. So we went to the funeral early. We were trying to, you know, personalize it, find that right story, although we were herded up onto the balcony, which always makes it harder to cover right. the funeral. Um, and it was a long affair. So pretty much we thought that it had wrapped up for the day and the big message was peace. And we thought the protesters would um, leave it be for the day because it was the day of the funeral. And that was what the family had requested. Um, and we were in the newsroom and started to hear things on the scanner. And Jed Gamber and I looked at each other and said, stuff is happening. Let's go. You know? Jed Gamber, by the way, a magnificent photojournalist uh, over at your station in Baltimore. Yes. And we have great, I mean, talk about people who are motivated. A great crew, guys who are great friends. They motivate each other. They help raise that bar each day for one another. So we're lucky to have such a good staff. So you were saying that you and Jed uh, were hearing the the activity on the scanner and decided it's time to go to work. Right. So um, I made sure our daycare was covered. My five-year-old was picked <laughs> up and uh, jumped in the car. And we knew we were hearing that it was closest at Mandaman Mall. That's not far from the station. Um, so we figured, well, we would run over there. We already had a live truck going to that location. So we were not tethered to a live shot, which was a big advantage. So we could run around and, and get those moments, mic people up. You know, pretty much I know Jed's going to get the great shots. So my job is to keep moving the mic. And put the wireless on, move it, get what we can, move on. And um, that's what we tried to do. It was hard because once we had that moment where they were spraying people and moving people back, um, it makes it, obviously, you weren't going to stay where you were being cleared out. Mm -hmm. So we had to circle around. There was a lot of running through alleys and back ways to keep getting all the action. You uh, you put together a story. It was it was about two minutes long. You and Jed that uh, I saw and it was excellent. I, I shouted it out uh, in one of my posts last week, and uh, and I'll put that with uh, with this link to the podcast as well, so people can see it. And what struck me again was the fact that you were not tethered to a live truck. Most reporters in that situation and photographers are stuck in one place because the coverage is live and nonstop, and you have to provide that as a news station. But what struck me watching your story was that there is real value in being able to have some time, being able to work freely and put together a really just tight, contextually filled story that captures emotions. Right. And I'm just curious because... You know, there's such a balancing act that newsrooms have to cover there. And I think the instinct is people want to see what's happening as it's happening unfettered. And again, I felt like watching your story made an argument for the opposite approach, that in addition to that, you need these contextualized reports. I think there's two elements to that. Number one, as journalists, you know, those of us who have it, the real passion for it, it doesn't matter that your, time, your shift ended. 
you keep going. You go after the story. If it's your day off and you hear of something big, you jump in the car, you go. And you know there's some people who have that and some people who don't. And I think that's part of it. And then the other part of it is, um, you know, we do have the freedom with our boss, Sinclair Broadcast Group, is run by Scott Livingston, who was a photographer, who mm -hmm. did work on the streets. Now he's, you know, president of the news operation. And so when you say, you know, we got to go, we got to go, and we have that kind of mentality in our um in our management to let us go free to do that. Now there were other people covering live shots. So that obviously helped and technically it was our time off. So <laughs> we were free to, free to go. But, um, I think that made the difference, but you know, like when you're covering a hurricane, how many times have we covered hurricanes and you're there and you're doing a million live shots. And at the end, you don't have any pictures of the hurricane. Mm -hmm. We're feeding the news beast so much. I think for you guys in Maryland, it's hurricanes. For us in Georgia, it's more tornadoes. But yes, I, I definitely understand uh, that sentiment. Now, that was Monday, right? Mm -hmm. That experience. And then yeah. the rest of the week, more oddities that just happened. There was, you know, the Baltimore Orioles game that was played with no fans. There were the eventual charges that were filed. What were some of the highlights for you as that week went along covering this developing story? Um, I'm a people person. And so when I'm, you know, we at our station always come up with ideas. I don't want to walk into a newsroom and, and get an assignment. I want to have my ideas on the table. This is who, what I want to pursue. And I, my, I kept going back to that West Baltimore neighborhood around the police station, the, the people who were most affected by it. And kind of dribbling them into my story. Sometimes we were trying to find, well, what was the cost factor of all this additional manpower there? But, you know, I kept going back to that corner and finding the artist who's driving, you know, drawing a mural and somehow weaving him into the story to make it interesting. Um, and I think that's my approach to things. I try to find a character for whatever story happens. Um, it's hard on breaking news like this because there's so many different directions you can go in. So you kind of had to pick it and then focus your story. With a situation that was so raw with emotion, that was so impacted by politics and politicizing, how difficult was it for you to try to tell stories in a way that were that were true to what was going on and also objective to the massive context that surrounds this situation as you know it it's like abortion the minute you say the word abortion it doesn't mean you felt one way or the other way people just get mad <laughs> and it's kind of that way with freddie you know the whole freddie gray coverage some people were, you know, mad because they thought we weren't portraying the police the right way. Some people are mad because we're not showing the protesters. You know, it was like one of those situations where you almost can't win. So you do your best to just balance it as best you can. And does that mean finding, you know, does that mean that that old cliche of both sides of the story yeah. that you make sure that you get all of the you know, all of the opinions out there and right. let the people kind of judge for themselves. And it was very hard to get 
police. They kind of shut down. And when that happens, you know, you don't want to keep saying, well, they're not responding. They're not saying this. You can't get the answers. We've called this many times. Um, but that was frustrating for us. We're trying to give them the opportunity to talk and going every which way we could through the union or whatever way we could. And, and it, that was very frustrating. Yeah. And I would, I would, you know, that's kind of a classic problem. I feel like journalists face, it is much easier to get the, you know, just get a person on the street to talk about something than it is to fight bureaucracy and try to get people within that bureaucracy to talk. Right. And our mayor um, did not want to talk about things either. And so I ended up at a press conference for where she was trying to get school funding and, you know, jumping on her and trying to get some answers. And that was yesterday. So we're still in a situation where we're not getting answers from, you know, public officials, elected public officials. And, you know, moving on isn't the answer. This has been a problem in Baltimore for decades with violence and problems. And I mean, it came to the forefront because of Freddie Gray's death. But obviously, there's a lot of underlying factors here. Yeah. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. She is Kathleen Carnes, longtime reporter for Fox 45 in Baltimore. And you know, it, 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 this struck me as a situation. We saw the national media coming in. I'm sure you felt the presence of the national media, probably still feeling it to some degree. And the national media received a lot of criticism, really got battered by a lot of uh, just columnists and even just, you know, the, the scuttlebutt on Twitter. People were not happy with how this story was being covered. And it really seems to me that a story like this is where local stations have a big advantage because, again, you know, you've been in Baltimore for 25 years. I'm sure a lot of your coworkers and colleagues can say the same. You're on the ground every day. You've got the sources. You've got that connection to the community. And that would seem to me to be vital in giving your viewers a viewpoint that maybe they're not even getting from the big boys in national media. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of the people, especially in West Baltimore, which is where most of this was focused were tired of having, you know, the big satellite trucks drive into their neighborhoods, you know, parking. They don't understand what issues are really there. They're leaving their garbage. Mm. That's another issue. But wow. Yeah. So that was one of the things that I noticed for myself. And there were complaints about it, you know, that they just kind of sweep in and then move out. But, you know, lo for local media, this is our town. This is our what we care about. We're passionate about this. We care about the outcome. Um, not that we chose a side one way or the other, but we want what's best for Baltimore. Um, so, yeah, that was frustrating that even residents here were feeling like they're, they were not being portrayed the right way. Well, and from what you're saying about the garbage, I mean, it, it sounds like there was a, a lack of basic respect yes. from a lot of the people that weren't from Baltimore. Correct. Correct. Now, that said, there were, you know, other people who were very understanding. And at times it was completely chaotic. You know, 10 o'clock at night, I was doing a live shot at North and Penn. And you just try to walk through the live shot and keep going, you know. And there <laughs> were other crews. There were more crews there than there were people. And you try not to step on each other and and all of that. So it did make it very hard 
for so much media to be in one place trying to cover the story. What was one situation you can point to where your experience in Baltimore gave you a leg up on a story that the national media hadn't yet found? It was absolutely um, hanging out around Western District Police. Uh, The entire block had been uh, barricaded. They had police on every corner because that had been the scene of some pretty tough rioting. Um, And they had extra police, you know, everywhere. People, residents who lived within that interior had to show their ID every time to get in and out of their own homes. But here I was local. The folks who live there knew us. So we were getting in and out of their homes, in and out to get to the backyard to shoot video. We were getting into their homes to get a better perspective. Um, They were telling us stories from their balconies, you know, behind the, um, you know, the National Guard. Um, I, you know, I would mic them at the front door that I could reach. And then he would walk to the back door. And that was one of the interviews we did. And so you could have the National Guard in the front and see what he's looking out on, which was pretty crazy. I don't think national media takes the time to try to do things like that. They kind of swoop in, get the, you know, the loudest person there. And then that, you know, and I know they have a different beast to cover than we do. So, yeah, but that's what we tried to do. Tell the real stories of the people in the neighborhood. What is it like for you as a newsroom and specifically you as a reporter in that newsroom when it is so frenetic and there are so many stories to get, how are you keeping tabs on what your coworkers are doing? What is the organization like there to make sure that every angle of this story is getting covered and maybe so that reporters and photojournalists aren't duplicating the work of others in the field? Well, um, you know, we, Sinclair has a very good storytelling approach where, you know, we have our nine o'clock meeting, you bring ideas to the meeting. If you don't bring the ideas, you're going to get handed whatever they give you, which I don't want to end up with that. So each of us comes in, we, you know, play out what ideas we think we want to pursue. So if you're in those meetings, the nine o'clock meeting, the two thirty meeting for the night show, um, and everyone does show up for them, even photographers, and they give their two cents about what they think could work, um, which is great. Everyone should be involved in deciding what news gets covered because we all live in the community and we all have a good perspective. It's not just the managers making the decisions, which is great because then I know if I pick up an element that could work for someone else's story or vice versa, then we have it. Yeah. One more thing I wanted to ask you about on this subject uh, and that is personal safety. I watched a live shot that you and Jed did, and uh, it was pretty harrowing. And I was just, and, and also, again, watching the compilation video and your story from uh, the Mandaman area. And I'm just wondering what were the guidelines? What were, you know, did you guys kind of have a plan in place? And what was your approach? Well, by that evening, which was towards the end, and they did think it could get a lot of, a lot worse for that weekend because we at that point we didn't know if charges were going to be lodged or not, and then they were. So um, we did have security 
um, which a lot of the other stations had hired security as well. And we had two guys with us, which they were great. I mean, they were stand, they didn't get in our way. They asked, you know, if, if you need something, yell for us. Otherwise, we're not going to get in your way. <laughs> and this was, by the way, all day long. This wasn't just during yes. your live shots. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, But you know, when you get, I have total blinders. I, when I'm on a live shot, you just go. And I just, whatever I saw, I talked about. And in a couple of the shots, you can see that they were behind me or trying to keep up with me. That's what they said. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So um, I threw them for a loop when I couldn't get through behind. There was a trailer there and police had moved in. And so I said, Jed, let's go around here and see if we could get them. And we ended up getting the guy, you know, one the, where the people were getting arrested. And the security guys lost me for a little bit. But <laughs> <they laughs> I sometimes me. wonder if that's a, a character trait of journalists in general. I, I heard a story this morning about someone in my market uh, here in Atlanta who once was on an undercover run with police and wound up uh, just trying to start a conversation with a drug dealer <laughs> as the as the undercover buy was going on. And, and I felt like only a journalist would think that he could bridge the gap in that situation and find a story and find, you know, and start small talk. And I wonder if that's just kind of the mentality. You want to find the great stories and Mm-hmm. That's the approach you have to take sometimes. Exactly. You have to be like a little jackrabbit. Go after it. So, <laughs> yeah, that was, um, and now I did, ha- the other part of this is in um, many years ago, in like the late 90s, I had approached a door in Baltimore, a row home, and um, a crazy woman threw bleach in my eyes. Wow. And it ended up being, you know, a pretty bad situation. So I am, I, I am aware of my safety. I am, do go the extra way. Although looking at that live shot, you'd think that I'm not perhaps, but, but I am very aware of my surroundings. You know, I'm not going to put myself in harm's way. I've got two kids and a great husband. I'm coming home at night. I do want to get that good story. You have the drive. So you just balance it out. You know, you don't do anything stupid, but yeah, you do have to be careful. And this was an environment where journalists were reported to have suffered injuries. Yes, yes. And um, in some of the other incidents, people got pepper sprayed, you know, if they mm-hmm. were too close to the protesters or in the midst of it. I think we ended up in a in a great position where we were only by chance, the way they moved into the city hall. And we were kind of on the outskirts so I could move back and get the pictures rather than just be trampled by, by the officers and the protesters. Mm. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I am Matt Pearl. She is Kathleen Carnes, who has spent a quarter century reporting at Fox 45 in Baltimore. Kathleen, I want to shift gears a little bit here for this final section and talk about just your career path in general and, and advice for younger journalists. I know you speak at various workshops and take part in them as well. You've developed a great reputation in Baltimore, you've been there for 25 years. Talk about developing that bond and, and, you know, in a business where so many of us hop from city to city, you seem to have found a very nice home in one place. Yes, I, I love Baltimore. 
Um, I still think it's Charm City, even though how it's been portrayed over the past couple of weeks may not look that way, but there are great people here. And, um, and I've had a great long list of great photographers that I've worked with as well. You know, Darren Durlock came from here, Dave Larson, Scott Livingston, Stan Heist. Of course, I have to put in my sets <laughs> for my husband. Um, but I've worked with great photographers. And I'll be honest, I have learned more from photographers than I ever learned in college or out of books or anything else. You know, it's that real moments in the street when you say, hey, let's try this. Let's do this. Think out of the box. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. You get back and you say, oh, that didn't work. That looks goofy. <laughs> but um, really and truly, I've, I've learned from the best teachers ever, and those are the photographers. So, I mean, if I, ha if I was a younger journalist, I mean, the best advice I could give to, you know, college students is listen to the photographers. They're the ones who are going to know what looks good, what sounds good, um, and how it will work. Of course, nowadays, most of them are MMJs, so they get the whole picture. I was just going to say, a lot of them would have to be their own photographers as well. Right. But, um, you know, listen to people in the newsroom. Um, I had a, I would have said, perhaps very mean managing editor when I worked in Albany, New York. And I was trying to write a script ahead of time and, you know, about a protest. So I'd be totally ready. And he took my paper and very dramatically tore it up and said, you know, when you got to a scene, you're like a sponge. All you do is absorb it. And that's what it is. You can't try to predict what the story will be. And what a great lesson. You know, that's what we are. We're just sponges. When we get there, absorb what we can and tell our audiences what has happened. No more, no less. Don't say anything that isn't there. Just, you know, the facts. Yeah. So that was a good lesson for me to learn. So true. When you think about the amount of time you spent in Baltimore, are the factors that have kept you in Baltimore more related to the job or, or to life? Is it more about having a family and wanting that continuity of, of raising kids in the same city? Or is it more about you found a place where you really feel like, you know, this is where I want to work for the, you know, for the duration of my career? Yes, absolutely. I found a place that's been great. I mean, I couldn't have survived this long, you know, there, it's like a family. We've got a great staff. And you know that makes a difference. You can get the best pay in the world, but if you're miserable where you are, what's the point? So I've just been very, very blessed. You know, we have great anchors who will, you know, help in a moment's notice. And, you know, everybody really pulls together for the product, you know, the best storytelling, you know, and they get help each other. You know, we all give advice, take advice, and I'm still learning. And I think that's great. If you're not learning, what's the point? <laughs> or if you think you don't need to learn anymore, then you really need to get out of the business. <laughs> it, you know, it's evolving constantly. Um, my new thing this year is, oh, man, I love Twitter. I'm like, really? Twitter hound, yeah. You can okay. find out so much information. And next thing you know, you're connected to, you know, 
half the firefighters in the state, which then they're giving you tips on other things. You know, I've just, I've found Twitter to be an incredible tool to help um, connect with people, get tips, get sources, you know, just really good. More than Facebook, much more than Facebook. And that's a, a question I imagine so many younger journalists would have too, especially those who are hopping from place to place, is how do you develop those contacts? How do you build those relationships so that you can get those story ideas that you can bring to the morning meeting? Right. I just, and talk to, I always say, talk to everybody you can at all times. The lady in the grocery store has a story. What's hers, you know? Talk, talk, talk. Be a little chatty Kathy out there, <laughs> you know? Sometimes that's when your best ideas come through. You say, you know what, if she's thinking that, maybe that is something I should look into. Yeah. So. Very good. Well, Kathleen, uh, I want to thank you for your insight on so many topics tonight. I always like to end the podcast with a question you've probably asked more than a dozen times at least. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add? Oh, my favorite quote. It's the best Okay, that's no guts, no story. <laughs> Where did you get that one? Who Actually, told you that? Deborah Wiener from WBAL TV. She said it to me many years ago. So Very good. Well, and a good way to end, Kathleen Carnes, thank you so much for joining me on the Telling the Story podcast. Thank you, Matt. And the Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.